0: I'm so touched and inspired by what you do. You're just such generous givers. You ask for nothing in return. You're just, how can we give? How can we make your world a better place? From the remodels and amazing transformations that you provide to the winter wonderland, where it's just a world of giving. Like, who doesn't want to be associated with that? It's your friend, Jason Mraz, the official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation. And welcome to the fifth season of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. This episode is proudly sponsored by the San Francisco Giants. The Giants are ready for the 2024 season led by new manager, Bob Melvin. There's nothing like the experience at Oracle Park, offering amazing entertainment, food and views. Tickets are available now by visiting sfgiants.com. And now, enjoy the podcast.
1: So it is my pleasure to kick off season number five of the Good Tidings podcast and to be sitting in Southern California in the studio at the home of my friend who helped originally get this podcast started back in 2020. So Jason Mraz, welcome to the Good Tidings podcast.
0: Thank you, Larry. It's great to have you.
1: So my wife, Ronnie, and I had the pleasure of camping in the GT van on your property last night that you have cleverly deemed the Maranch. In addition to your home, tell us what actually happens here at the Maranch.
0: I was inspired to find a Maranch for myself after visiting Bob Marley's house in 2004. I was starting to be established as a touring musician, and I knew between tours I needed to find a place I could camp out, and I wanted it to be a place where I could make noise and have my band over and experiment in music. So that was the first thing I was looking for, was some space. And I moved into an agricultural area here in Oceanside, California, and it came with avocado trees. And that was another thing about Bob Marley's property is it had gardens and some fruit trees. And I thought, well, that's cool. Maybe I could even do a little homesteading as well if I'm gonna be out in the country. So this property here revealed itself to me in 04, right after that trip to Jamaica. And I saw a lot of similarities in the Jamaican climate, as well as the Hawaiian climate, which I've been visiting quite a bit, and this seemed to be right in the middle. And it allows me to produce food, participate in agriculture, and also produce my albums here.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I noticed I walked the property this morning You mentioned the avocados, but you're growing coffee beans and it's all certified organic. That's
0: right. Certified organic. We grow passion fruits for a local kombucha company because I've learned now it's important to find your customer pretty quickly (laughs) if you're going to grow something. We have a lot of fun exotic fruits like cherimoyas and guavas and dragon fruits and bananas, but it still is mostly an avocado and coffee ranch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this past weekend, you hosted a two-day concert that we had the opportunity to enjoy entitled Kaleidoscope. Can you share with us what took place at this very unique event?
0: This was a concert with a big band and, and myself performing songs of mine, mostly songs of mine. And we had teamed up with eight local organizations that are involved in singing, dancing, playing music, acting and invited them to be a part of it. Now, these are programs, too, that my foundation would is giving grants to, and these are the kinds of programs that we give grants to all around the country. And they are inclusive arts organizations, so they're making sure that they're providing an education and advancing equality and even providing hot meals to the youth that attend these programs. So we invite some of these programs to join us on stage and put on this concert, and we ask them, If you could perform to one of my songs, which one would it be? And so we let them create the set list. And then we perform the song behind them or with them, depending on what their medium is. So if it's a dance group, we're behind them. And then I would step in sometimes and join their choreography if they requested me to dance. One of them was a music group, so they took over as the band and played the song. And we even had an acting troupe, which was really incredible, who wrote poetry as well as found some poetry to weave in between the verses. And it was really beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. That And you mentioned the eight different groups that were so diverse. Was that a tough thing to choose these eight groups?
0: Yeah, it was. And that's the fun part, too, is because there are so many of these little after-school programs and nonprofits that serve communities that are in hidden in strip malls around the country that are providing arts or clowning or juggling or gymnastics or dance music training there's so many so when we're out there looking to see who will join us that's the fun part is just searching far and wide around we start in san diego county that's yeah. where we live and and there's many many dozens and dozens of them and who kind of fits the criteria, first of all, and then who's interested, who is kind of a performance-ready group, or that's what their mission is. Yeah. So, yeah, it is tough. This is the second time we've done it in San Diego, and if if you don't make the cut, we're like, well, look, we at least now know where you are, and we can still provide grant, and maybe next year we'll find some time to do a performance together.
1: Yeah, makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. You know, personally, when I get asked about the charity world, I'm a big – preacher of mission over money. I think money, charities do need money, but money kind of is diversive in our society a little bit. And I love the fact that you gave of your time because it's easy for most people to give some money or money, but the amount of time you gave to these groups Mm -hmm. and the joy of seeing their faces on stage with Jason Mraz was, was priceless. So when did you realize your engagement with these groups were just as important as a grant to give to them.
0: Yeah. Well, pretty early on, I've been doing this since I was a little kid and I know how, just how great it feels to collab and be in the room and be on stage, be backstage, just have a relationship with the teachers and the students. Cause I was a student myself and I benefited from those relationships and being seen and being encouraged so when we started doing this a little over a decade ago, I know what I'm bringing the most is my experience. And how can, whether it's through a Q&A or we're collabing on a song, my personal involvement is going to make the most impact, more so than, you know, I know the board and the, the program loves the checks, but the students don't ever see those checks, right? The yeah. students are getting mentorship. Yeah,
1: yeah. And as I was listening to there over 15 songs because you performed with all eight groups twice mm-hmm. your catalog of music that you already had is it's like a layup because your songs are all about love and compassion and empathy and gratitude when you're writing songs are you always thinking about that are good for all of humanity like for everybody and how everybody should feel
0: A little bit, but that can be a daunting task. And it can also make the song bland if you're thinking about the whole world. (laughs) Most of the time I'm writing for me. I just assume if this is how I feel, everybody must feel this way. And it's, I don't know, it's because maybe we all feel like we're the center of the universe in some capacity. So I write songs to cheer myself up. I write songs to remember to practice compassion and, and to remember to practice gratitude. And... Also, say I glean some wisdom from a new book I've read, and something really strikes me as like, I want to remember that. I want to remember that. So I weave it into my songs so that these messages of love can be remembered and retold over and over again, night after night on stage. And it makes me feel good to sing them because singing and performing is one of my greatest joys. I'm one of those kids that I was on stage with, and I love just jumping up and down and being seen and being heard. And it's such a joyful feeling. I learned in my early adult life that if I pair that joyful feeling with a joyful message, it's extra potent, and it just makes so much sense. And I thank you for saying that my catalog is a layup to this type of performance because I felt that during the show. Like, I turn and say, I can't believe we're doing this. And listening to these kids perform these words and... I was getting emotional numerous times at singing all these songs of hope, but then watching and experiencing that hope unfold in this beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, because every kid had a smile on their face as mm. they performed because they're just immersed in the music. You know, mm. they weren't thinking of the nerves of being on stage. It was just cool to watch. And as, as I continued to watch the show, I did notice that you made sure you were their equal, like you were their peer. And it didn't matter how polished they were or you didn't feel like you had to go save some kid on his vocal performance. You were just an equal to them. And that was, I'm sure, well thought out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're the background to these performers and that we really wanted to make them feel just that what they're doing is important because it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that you use the word shine a lot throughout your mission statements of your foundation. There's even a logo of a sun on your foundation's logo. Tell us why you like that word so much. I'm always intrigued by people's mission statements, and there's always one word in there that I catch, and that word shine, I, mm-hmm. I love that. Mm. Gosh, a lot of reasons. I mean, I think, first
0: of all, it's it's like for our young performers, it's like a showcase. It's like, let's watch you shine. Let's watch you do your thing. For me, from my perspective, I find that I've been so lucky to be given a spotlight and a microphone. This foundation is a way for me to basically hold up a mirror and redirect that light onto organizations that could use the attention, that could use the advertising, that could use the donations, that could use the stage time. So we're shining for them. And then they just do what they do and they shine brightly.
1: Yeah. We have partnered twice so far to build out two amazing musical spaces, both of which are thriving. We saw one of those groups performing at your event this past weekend, and I know we have more to come. But What was your first impression when you saw the Jason Mraz Studio at Arts in National City and now the Connie Korn Studio that we built at the San Diego Young Artists Music Academy?
0: You know, honestly, I, I feel like when I saw the arts room, I thought, I'm not worthy. Like, this is incredible. It's such a beautiful space. I was just absolutely touched. And one of the teachers that works there, like week after week, would send me a photo of what was happening in that room, whether it was a band practice, a ukulele lesson, painting going on. I mean, they've it's become a real multi-purpose space, and I would get pictures all the time of check out what's happening here now. <laughs> and that's just so great. And then the same thing happened at Estillama, watching that space get completely transformed to then getting pictures from my friends down there that are just showing me how booked it is. You know. And if I follow them, I do follow them online, and if I see them, just watching that room just be used every single day. And that's because it's such a beautiful space and it works and it's warm. And when you walk in, it says, oh, yeah, things happen here, and people want to be in those rooms.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm personally a big believer in the environment you're in creates a better outcome. Mm -hmm. Do you find that for your personal self in writing a song, if you're at the right spot, that not only you've got the lyrics in mind and and the harmony in mind, but the space you're at or the environment you're at is also equally important?
0: Absolutely. I'll chase a creative urge anywhere I'm at, but it also helps to be in a space that was created for those experiments and for created for that training and those practice hours. You wanna feel safe in there and you wanna feel like you're allowed to make noise, you're allowed to throw paint, you don't have to tiptoe around the space. Like yeah. This space was made for creativity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell you this one thing. We've had the pleasure over the past 30 years to work with Hall of Fame athletes, Olympians, Grammy winners, Tony winners, on and on. And in working with these talented people, your first introduction oftentimes is through their manager or their agent, as was with you. And now as I we get the opportunity to work with even more of these people, and I bring up your name to these agencies, they to a man say that, well... Jason Mraz, he's the unicorn in our industry. (laughs) Basically, he is the special one. And to expect that from others you're wanting to work with is a reach. So I want to tell you as I hear this and then I see you living your real self. And I do remember you telling me that when you first moved to San Diego to start performing in coffee houses, that if you could just make enough to cover your basic needs, you'd be good. And to this day, with all your success, that's still the way. And, and where did this humbleness come from? And have you ever been tempted to lead a more lavish life?
0: I've seen the lavish life, and it doesn't look easy. <laughs> it looks very expensive. Um, I don't know. I feel very lucky. I have all the lavish comforts, that's for sure. But I also grew up in a small town with my dad who ran a construction company that didn't work in the wintertime. My mom worked two jobs, worked at a bank, and then in the evenings ran a janitorial supply company with my stepfather. And I just saw how hard they worked. And I was their employee in my teens. I was helping my dad build fences and I was helping clean toilets. And I kind of saw my future. I saw, okay, if I stay home, I can do these things. I can maybe start my own lawn mowing business or something. I always had creativity though. I always had singing and dancing and acting and putting on shows thanks to the programs in our public school and in our after-school programs. And so I knew I had a trade. I knew I had a thing that I could do. And when I worked for my dad or my stepdad, I did those things knowing I'd make some pocket money, but my heart will always take me back to the stage somewhere. And because I had this ability to entertain people, I just felt like I had some kind of wealth already because I could just generate as a creator and generate smiles and generate applause and happiness. And that made me feel wonderful. So seeing that I was probably going to work in construction if things didn't go well, I said, look, I'm just going to try to find... A spot where i can perform and my dad encouraged me he said go sing he's like you don't want to dig holes the rest of your life like if you can go find a place to sing then you'll never have to work we've all heard probably yeah adults tell us that so my parents were very very supportive of me going after dreams and i tried musical theater and i thought maybe i'll work on a cruise ship or maybe i'll work at a theme park like i didn't know anywhere where a stage could be maybe i'll do broadway if i'm lucky enough And I went down that path and it was very competitive, auditioning and whatnot. In my early years of college, I noticed that I could just make up a song on a guitar and entertain people. And that was like, oh, this is a magic trick I didn't know I could do. (laughs) So I eventually found a little coffee shop and I thought, you know, if I can just make enough money at the door where I won't have to go back to that day job, I won't have to clean the toilets, I won't have to work for the post office, which I was doing. Then I will have made it, you know. I just, for me, making it was just getting above that line where I was working for my dad. You know, I love my dad, but just getting to that place where I was being my trade was supporting me. Yeah. You know, and that was it. it. Because I think I came from that place, I don't know any different. You know, and I know I could still probably support myself and build you a fence if I needed to, because that's what I grew up doing. But I just because I get to sing, I'm so grateful and I feel like such a contest winner. Um, <laughs> and not only that, like I surpassed my expectations. Like I just wanted to perform somewhere. Yeah. I get the same high performing in a coffee shop as I do in Carnegie Hall. Mm. So I'm performing at a coffee shop in San Diego and things are going well, I'm making money at the door, I start recording my shows, I'm making money on the CDs. I'm actually doing well at that time. And well is like you know a few hundred bucks in cash every week that was amazing to me. But then the ride just kept going. It just kept going. The offers kept coming in and tours kept coming in and record companies started calling. And to me, it's just like, okay, wow, this is just a cool opportunity, but it's all going to go away soon. So I never took my feet off the ground. Yeah.
1: Know? Yeah. And the name of your hometown doesn't really inspire creativity. I That's guess. right. Mechanicsville. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's the path. Yeah. Uh, Well, you definitely know how to perform. And I wanted to ask you, is there a difference in the level of nervousness, if you get nervous at all, between, say, performing on Dancing with the Stars, performing on your own tour, or actually having to do a benefit show? Are Are they all the same? Or some get you a little more... Butterfly? Um, Good question.
0: I think I had butterflies the first week of Dancing with the Stars, because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was capable of. I'd never just relied on dance moves to get me through a situation. I'm always (laughs) singing and telling jokes. I was a little nervous there. And if you were to go back and watch the first week I danced to my own song, my jaw is hanging open the entire time (laughs) because I'm gasping for air. I was so nervous that I could barely breathe. It was always a ride. Every week on that show felt like a ride. And you're just kind of looking out through your eyes, just like, what is my body doing right now? And, but I grew comfortable in that, in that role. I did get nervous, probably for the opening song of Kaleidoscope over the weekend, uh-huh. because there's just so many lives that you've brought together to pull this off. And I wanna make sure they look good and sound good so it's not gonna help if I go out there and miss a lyric or if I screw up, you know? So I was a little nervous getting started on the opening night. But after the first song, I was right at home. I knew, we were, I knew we were gonna be okay.
1: Yeah, and we talked about Dancing with the Stars. How mm-hmm. was that experience and did it exceed your expectations? I mean, us watching it, we just saw this amazing dancer that got better and could do all these different things. It was really fun to watch course, everybody in our world thought you were the best, but oh. did it exceed your expectations in the end? And and do you think that's going to help you professionally even? Oh, definitely. I mean,
0: we got to do Kaleidoscope right after Dancing with the Stars. I was, in fact, Kaleidoscope started while I was still on Dancing with the Stars. So as soon as that program was over, I was going down to visit these classes, and they saw me as a dancer, which was great because. I'm getting a little older. I was nervous that the kids wouldn't even know who I was, (laughs) but they did because they saw me as a dancer. And so I got to dance and participate with the students, which felt amazing. And my experience on Dancing with the Stars was, I underestimated myself. I thought I'd be on for three or four weeks. I thought I'd be one who has a good run, but gets voted off because it's tough competition. And I had a great partner who believed in me and really worked me really hard, Daniela Karagach. And she brought out the best in me, as well as that everyone on that show. The crew is amazing. The producers are amazing. All the creative teams are amazing. So you just feel the love and support. It is, I should say, it is not a competition show because we are all cheering each other Mm -hmm. on. We are all helping each other do our best. And it's only those last seconds of the night where we remember, oh no, somebody's going (laughs) to have to leave. But yeah, it way surpassed my expectations. And I, I envision I'll be doing some dancing in my concerts going forward. Even if it's just a few steps here and there, I can't imagine just standing on stage anymore and just being stationary.
1: Yeah. There's something about that. Cause you had the one choreographed piece with the uh, a whole group of kids on stage this past weekend mm-hmm. and you can be singing and everybody's happy. But as soon as you start moving feet, an audience just gets into it. Mm-hmm. It's just an extra level. It's so interesting. Yeah. Just, Doing that little extra yeah. fires up an audience.
0: Yeah. yeah. I may have been a little shy to dance, even though I did it as a kid. In my adult life, I used humor in my dancing to give me a reason to dance. But that's because I was a little shy. So I thought, well, if I dance funny, then I'll get to dance and people will laugh. But Dancing with the Stars really helped me learn some dancing and respect dancing And what I discovered was this is another dimension of music that I've yet to really tap into. I love listening to music. I love embodying music, but dancing is a way to visually express music and to physically express music. And I hadn't fully understood that until now.
1: Yeah. We touched briefly on some of this performing in coffee houses. Now you grow coffee. Has your love for coffee started well before you performed in coffee houses or did it develop from the coffee house. Yeah,
0: develop from the coffee house. It definitely is an acquired taste. And I think when I was younger, coffee was just gross. I didn't know what (laughs) adults were doing. I even thought people were doing it wrong. I thought, okay, coffee is a cherry. It's a delicious fruit. If you can eat it off the tree, it is so delicious. And yet we're stripping the fruit away, letting the bean dry out, then we're roasting the bean in an oven, (laughs) And then we're infusing it into, in water, and this is what we're getting from it? I was so confused by that for years and years. But over the years, I've just grown to love it. And I think working in coffee shops as a musician and as a barista, I really fell in love with the craft of it and how nuanced it can be from cup to cup. And I like that. I like that it disappears. I like that it's a thing you can work on and make special. And then you consume it, and you got to do it again. And in a way, it's like putting on a show. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going to work on it, make it special, and then that's it. You're going to have your one night doing it, and then, but you get to try it again tomorrow, just like
1: a cup of coffee. Yeah, and for me too. I, I love coffee, and I I even notice from day to day the coffee tastes different to mm-hmm. me. Right. So you, especially if you're making it home, and do you feel like it's it's a form of art, and you make a cup of coffee and. Let's see what it's going to be like this morning. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And there's so many little variables that can change day to day in your grind, and in, in the weather, in the room, the temperature, and and of course how you're going to serve it. I love it. There's a little ritual in it. You yeah. know, it's our version of a tea ceremony. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I want to ask you, so you, you've got this amazing we talked about this amazing catalog of songs that you have. are songs always rattling around in your head, or do you have to just set time away like okay, next week I'm going somewhere and I'm just gonna sit and write. done,
0: done me and you bet I felt it I tried to beat you, but you so hot that I melted I fell right through the cracks. Now I'm trying to get back Before the cool done run out I'll be giving it my best This not nothing's gonna stop me But divine intervention I reckon it's again my turn To win some or learn some But I won't hey. It's our take no more Well, I write every week. I make sure I produce a song a week. So because of that, songs are rattling around in my head. Mm. I'm always wondering. Well, oh, what's the next song I'm going to write? Like, as soon as one is finished, I, I have you know probably a an evening or a day of celebration. Like, wow, listen to that. That's really sweet. <laughs> but then I'm like, okay, well, what's next? So I just I just stay open, and I don't know what's next. But I've learned that if I just stay open, stay in the now, and write about whatever's going on, then something interesting ends up landing in my lap or on the page on the piano. And also it allows me to listen back to the last 15 plus years of my life. And I can hear a song from the week of July 16th and hear, oh, yeah, I was going through that. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, that was the day that was that beautiful twilight or that was the day I got my heart broken or
1: whatever. Yeah, 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 that's very cool. And I know you took your super band on tour last year. We saw you. Perform up in Berkeley and you're going back on the road this summer for people who are thinking of buying tickets. Tell us about the show They may see.
0: Okay. This is the second leg of the mystical magical rhythmical radical ride (laughs) We did a big fun lap around the country last summer and so this summer we're picking up the tour again and making another lap around the country hitting the cities that we didn't hit in 2023 so we'll be going from Maine all the way back to San Diego with a lot of fun stops along the way. We start and end with symphony shows, which is fantastic. We'll be with the Boston Pops at Tanglewood. And then we will be with San Diego Symphony down here at the Rady Shell in San Diego. We also get to perform at the Colorado National Symphony at Red Rocks, oh. which will be very special. So that's something we've also now started to add into our tours is these collaborations with symphonies. Last year, we did the New York Pops in New York City, which was fantastic.
1: Yeah. Well, for everyone listening, they definitely should pick up a couple of tickets to see you this summer. So um, Yeah, we've got a great
0: band, cooking band, horn section, lots of vocals, great visuals. It's a party, and yeah. it's, you know it's happy music, and we have a good time.
1: And a little bit of the money goes into the foundation. Correct? Absolutely, yeah, for every absolutely. Sold.
0: For every ticket sold, I say it's easy as one, two, three. For every ticket sold, a buck twenty-three goes straight into the foundation. So, at the end of a tour, however many tickets got sold, if it's three hundred thousand tickets were sold throughout the summer, we just times that by one point two three, and that comes from my touring company, goes straight into the foundation. And then also, what happens is promoters in many if not most now of the cities that we play they also set aside dollars from the tickets so at the end of a tour we're receiving checks from promoters all around the country for five thousand seven thousand three thousand dollars and it really adds up fast which is, allows us to
1: really play and, and give a lot of money away yeah that's very cool You know, I know you've received many professional accolades throughout your career, but you are now the official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation. Hey, thank you so much. So I I personally, I'm honored and blessed that you are doing that. You've taken it so seriously, which I do really appreciate in helping us further our mission as we want to carry on. And you must get asked a lot, what was it about us that you said, hey, you know, I'd like to stay engaged with you for a long period of time? I'm so
0: touched and inspired by what you do. You're just such generous givers. You ask for nothing in return. You're just, how can we give? How can we make your world a better place? From the remodels and amazing transformations that you provide to the Winter Wonderland where it's just a world of giving. Like who doesn't want to be associated with that? You know, it's just such a beautiful thing that you do and I've and you have the track record, you have the history of decades of doing it. And then also I was touched that you asked.
1: So, I mean, it ticked all the boxes for me. Yeah. Well, we're, we're certainly very grateful. I encourage everyone to go to JasonMraz.com to check out his upcoming tour, to see all the good his foundation is doing. Jason, I feel so very lucky to have met you five years ago and I just certainly look forward to all the amazing things we're going to do and the projects we're going to create to help, the under-resourced youth all over California. So thank you for hanging out with me and your studio today here on Oceanside. Uh, thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to have you over.
0: We hope you've enjoyed another episode of the Good Tidings podcast, hosted by Good Tidings Foundation founder, Larry Harper. For more information on all the good we're doing, go to goodtidings.org.